Welcome to the Three Down Nation podcast. I'm Justin Dunk, joined by John Hodge and J.C. Abbott. Today, we're discussing the Canadians eligible to be picked in the 2022 NFL Draft. Mark Trestman stirring the CFL pot for a second straight week. Duck Hodges flying the coop in Ottawa. A touchdown Atlantic sellout. And the Riders' new play-by-play voice. But first... Edmonton Elks head coach Chris Jones told the media that there have been lots of people calling, phone ringing off the hook to offer a trade for the first overall pick in Tuesday's CFL draft. Do you think the team should hang on to the top selection? I do, and and I think they will. I think it's a foregone conclusion at this point that Tyrell Richards, the versatile linebacker out of the University of Syracuse, will be taken with that first pick. And frankly, I... I'm not going to call Chris Jones a liar, but Chris Jones might be a bit of an exaggerator in this instance. I think he's probably trying to drum up a little bit of a market, a little bit of interest in that first overall pick, because as much as he covets Richards, as any team would, he really did a fantastic job at the combine this past uh, this past month. I don't think that there's a tremendous uh, market for that pick, at least right now. The people I've spoken to around the league have said, we have not heard a peep about trades. It's possible that the day before the trade, the Monday and even the morning of that Tuesday, we could see a market form. But at this point, the people I've talked to seem surprised that Jones would say that. Their their anticipation is that top pick will not be traded uh, ahead of Tuesday's draft. If I'm the Elks, I don't want to train it, even if there is a fantastic offer, because in this draft, there's just not a tremendous amount of depth and not a lot of depth at the positions where they need help. They need somebody who can step in for them on the defensive line if they need to, or who can come in at linebacker. There's one player who can do both. His name is Tyrell Richards, and he's only going to be available at that top spot. So you're not going to get a similar player at any other selection and you need a guy who can come in and contribute right away. Richards can do that on special teams. If nothing else, he's going to have, you know, eight to 10 tackles next year for sure, because that's what he did in college. He was a demon on the teams. So I really don't see the value in this particular draft of trading down when the very clear best impact player on day one is only going to be available at the, at that top spot. The way that there could be value for Mr. Jones is if he gets a proven player. In my mind, that's probably the only way that he trades the pick is if he gets a veteran, CFL or Canadian-American or otherwise, that he believes can step in and be better than Tyrell Richards day one. Other than that, I totally agree with you guys. It makes sense. Richards is a quintessential Chris Jones player. We saw him take reps at D-line linebacker and defensive back if that's not Chris Jones, I don't know what is. And I asked him about reflecting on the last time he had the top pick in 2016 when he took Josiah Joseph over Alex Singleton. Now, to be fair, there was some talk that Singleton could potentially sign an NFL contract. I believe leading up to that draft, Singleton had a workout with an NFL team. I think it was the New England Patriots. But alas, he didn't end up signing an NFL deal, and the Stamps got a steal, taking him sixth overall. Jones admitted that, yeah, Singleton probably would have been the better <laughs> pick. So this time around, you have a guy whose traditional position, we'll say, is linebacker, played at an NCAA school, Syracuse, in Richards. That makes a lot of sense to take at the top of the draft, unless he gets a proven veteran CFLer. And by the way, I think I mis- I think you misspoke there, Doug. You said Josiah Joseph. I think we're talking about Josiah St. John. 
Um, but uh, no, I know you know who he is. Just misspoke. But I, I found it hilarious, frankly. So you asked, we were both in that media veil via Zoom on Monday, Dunkster, and you asked him, you know, we were talking about the Cody Fajardo comments. Cody Fajardo called him a media heavy, which I took to mean, you know, somebody who, you know, uses the media to play games and tell narratives. And Chris Jones, and I'm paraphrasing here, basically said, oh, I don't know anything about that, but maybe you should ask Mike O'Shea about that. And it's like, in and doing that, and Dave Dickinson. So in doing that, he then took the opportunity to use the media to throw two West Division head coaches under the bus, which I thought was deliciously ironic and classic Chris Jones. So I don't think the pick will be traded. The only way I think it could be traded is if it's a 2020 situation where you've got a clear-cut number one pick. Jordan Williams was the number one pick last year. And the Calgary Stampeders, who held that first pick, coveted somebody else. They coveted Isaac Adiemi Berglund. They flipped picks. Calgary got Adiemi at three, and the BC Lions traded up to get Williams at one. But I don't see that playing out this year. I think the Elks are going to take Rich Richard's number one, and I don't think a trade offer is going to come along sweet enough to tempt the Elks. At least that's that, unless something crazy changes. That's my prediction. What are we, six days out? I don't think we'll see a trade. I think the, the one wild card that is worth mentioning in this situation is that the Elks also have the top priority in the upcoming supplemental draft, where they'll get a first crack at getting Jamin Pellet, who's a massive defensive lineman out of the University of Calgary. So, if Chris Jones feels like he only needs one impact guy, maybe there's some wiggle room in terms of trading that top pick, but I think it would be better to have the two of them than just one. Yeah. By the way, we I'll move on to the next topic in a moment. Chris Jones said that Jamin Pelly, he thinks is down to 350 pounds. Uh, and I, 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 I say down to 350 pounds. Apparently he was weighing 380 at one point. I don't know how you play in the CFL, even at 350, but I'm interested to see what Jamin Pelly is able to do as a rookie, likely with the Elks, because let's be honest, I think he's he's likely going to Edmonton with that supplemental pick. In the same boat as the Edmonton Elks are the Jacksonville Jaguars, who hold the top pick when the NFL draft kicks off on Thursday night. Several Canadians have a chance to be selected or signed after the draft. I'm curious, JC, who do you have your eye on? Well, on, on Thursday night, I don't think I'll have my eye on anyone because I think it's unlikely that we see a Canadian uh, slip into the first round this year. But day two and day three, there's going to be a lot of intrigue. I know the, ga- the, the guy that's uh, coming up a lot uh, as of right now is, is John Mitchie III, our, our back-to-back John Cornish Trophy winner. He's earned some high praise from scouts across the NFL. Dan- Daniel Jeremiah uh, from the NFL Network recently compared him to Jarvis Landry, and I think he is that type of guaranteed impact player. Now, not a lot of people see Mechie as a true number one, but almost universally, he's regarded as a number two receiver that you can slot into just about any offense. He can play out wide if you need him to. He can thrive in the slot. He does all the other things that you need on a team to to be successful as an offense in terms of the effort level, uh, in terms of the blocking for for run plays or for screens. So just a really solid all-around player that maybe won't ever turn into a top five receiver in the NFL, but should pretty quickly turn into a top 25 guy. Mechie the third, I think, can be productive right away. As long as he's healthy from that ACL injury that he sustained in the SEC championship game. And you can make an argument that if Mechie the third was healthy, 
that maybe Alabama goes on to win a second straight national championship and Mechie has another ring after leaving the Crimson Tide. Overall, I think he could be a great value because of the injury. JC, you mentioned it. Canadian is unlikely to slip into the first round, but there was some buzz about Mechie, in particular Mel Kuyper Jr., the NFL draft guru for ESPN, actually had him, I believe, in one of his mock drafts going in the first round during the season. So I think there's an opportunity for a team there to get a great guy that's going to come in and work hard, that's productive, that's honestly more explosive than Jarvis Landry when he came out of LSU. got to remember, Landry ran a 4.77 40-yard dash. And just based on the film, because Mechie didn't test and wasn't able to run the 40 at the NFL Combine for the Pro Day at Alabama because of his knee, I think he's faster than... Landry and potentially even quicker. So I think you can get an impact guy that comes in right away and is productive for you and has the potential because of his hardworking ability to be a really good pro. Yeah, I'm going to save the bottom round guys for my article tomorrow, Thursday morning. I'll have a piece about where these guys could go. But the other Canadian who's sure to get drafted, I think, is Penn State linebacker and defensive lineman Jesse Lucetta. He's currently tagged. He's been he's been tagged as high as round three. Personally, I see him in the fourth round. He's kind of a positionless player. He didn't rush the passer a whole heck of a lot of Penn State, but then he went to the Senior Bowl, put up two sacks. He must be the first player in the history of the Senior Bowl to have more sacks at the Senior Bowl than he did through four years of college. So to me, he's a guy who, who you can slot in anywhere. Special teams, inside linebacker, outside linebacker, put his hand in the dirt at defensive end. He's going to do a lot of things well for you. I'm not sure he projects as a starter, but you don't have to be a starter necessarily to be an impact player. So he's the second one who I think we'll see off the board for Canadians. And I think round four is where we'll see him. The other guy who's rising throughout this process, and I think there's an outside shot. Now, don't, don't quote me on this hot take, but some of the buzz is he might actually go higher than Lukega is Luigi Villane from Wake Forest, the defensive end who was drafted in the third round by the Toronto Argonauts last year in the CFL draft. Now, he wasn't very productive during his career um, uh, at, uh, at Penn State, but then he transferred to, to Wake Forest for his final senior, senior year and was able to put up some crazy pressure numbers, some crazy sack numbers, and he's super athletic in the testing he's quietly rising in this process as a pass rusher that you can get on the field uh, on third down can get after the quarterback and there are some people who are saying he could go as high as the third round now that's a little rich for my blood uh, but if someone really loves him and takes him that high that could end up be higher than Lukega, who is i think a much better player overall but lacks a lot of that pass rush upside Either way, I think we're going to see the street continue of Canadians being selected in the NFL draft, which I believe goes back to 2011 or 2012. I'd have to check my notes, but it's been the longest run in history. Just don't tell CFL Commissioner Randy Ambrose that, okay? <laughs> Calgary Stampeders quarterback Bo Levi Mitchell opened up in a recent Saskatchewan radio interview saying that retirement very well could be the next step for him after two injury-hampered seasons. How much more gas do you think the 32-year-old has left in the tank? Well, we're going to find out. I definitely think there is gas left in that proverbial tank for Bo Levi Mitchell, but he's being honest, and this is what he's been throughout 
most of his career as he's risen to star status in the CFL. He's said what's on his mind for the most part, even though it seems to rub especially Saskatchewan Rough Rider fans the wrong way. So we're going to see. Bolivar Mitchell talked about recommitting himself, wanting to make sure that his shoulder was on point. But when you have these injuries, as much as you train and you rehab and work out and you prepare for the season, it's hard to sometimes get over what's been sustained to your body in the past. So I'm real curious to see what Bolivar Mitchell can do with a full training camp. You know, preseason, we'll probably see him a little bit. I certainly don't think that that can hurt. But especially without him playing a season after breaking his leg in week one, like I feel like that goes under the radar a little bit. And people talk about him leading the league in interceptions. But think of any of us, how we would deal with a broken leg and how long it would take us to recover. Well, yeah, Mitchell was out a little bit, but he came back and played on that. So the fact that he's had now a full offseason to heal from that injury, hopefully get his body back balanced again so he can get throwing on plane and be letting some of those lasers go that we're used to seeing from Bolivar Mitchell, especially in his prime, then I certainly think he's still capable of being an elite guy and leading the Calgary Stampeders to potential great cup. And clearly John Hoffnagel and Dave Dickinson feel so as well. Yeah, I think that Mitchell deserves some credit for having, let's say, the self-awareness to realize that this could be his next step. Because oftentimes, professional athletes, I think when it comes to their longevity, lack a little bit of perspective, right? They can see the the decline in people around them, players around them as they get older, the competition they play against. But when it comes time to look in the mirror and notice that their game has fallen off or maybe they've lost a step, a lot of athletes can't do that. So I give Bo credit for that. He has also been, I mean, he's 32, but he's got a lot of mileage for someone who's 32. He doesn't have the biggest frame, and he took more hits last year than I think he ever has before in his CFL career. Now, is that to say that Bo Levi Mitchell's career is done? Of course not. I think he could have a bounce back year, provided he's fully healthy. I think he needs to do a bit of a better job avoiding some of those shots that he took in 2021. And I think having that run game that really came to life late last year with Kareem Kadeem Carey establishing himself as a star in this league should help. So if Mitchell is approaching the end. I look forward to seeing him on television because I certainly hope that we get to keep hearing from him when he's done. But I applaud him for at least having this self-awareness and going through this process and being willing to talk about it publicly because I'm sure there are players who have these thoughts, right? Who have these conversations with mentors, friends, family members, you know, people they trust. And I think it's great that he's willing to talk about it publicly and seems to have, you know, not an optimistic or pessimistic view of his long-term future, just a realistic one. And I think being realistic about what you're doing, what you're up against, what you're facing, and what your future might hold is excellent. I think it's important to add to this conversation that, that Bo Levi Mitchell is, is not contemplating retirement because he can't play as a CFL quarterback anymore. You know, in his current state, I mean, you could trot him out for, for six more years, uh, you know, if he doesn't have a massive decline, and he'll still be a functional CFL quarterback. Uh, he'll still be better than a bunch of the guys that are starting for other teams. The issue that he highlighted is that he hasn't felt like himself. This is a guy who came into the CFL with what I would categorize as special arm talent, special arm strength. He just looked different than other quarterbacks. He was unique in that aspect. 
And since that initial shoulder injury and the rehab hasn't quite gotten, gotten him back to that. He, he talked about being, it being like a guitar player with only three strings instead of five, you know, he needs every single tool in his arsenal. And with that shoulder hampered, he doesn't feel like he's himself. He doesn't feel like the same player. And while the player he is, is a very competent one, Bo Levi Mitchell has never been uh, content being competent. He wants to be great. So I wonder, where is that bar for him in terms of retirement? If he plays a a season that he's the, the fifth or fourth best quarterback in the league next year, is that enough for him to feel like he's himself. I don't think we'll know until it happens, but if you look at other quarterbacks in recent years who have retired earlier in their careers, like a Michael Riley this past off season, you know, that decline comes quickly and it's not necessarily a situation where they can't play anymore. It's simply they can't play in the way that they were meant to at the high level that they want to. And that's what I think Mitchell is getting at. And it's kind of what I touched on earlier in terms of your body taking those shots and that being built up over time. You've got to remember still, Mitchell got the Calgary Stampeders into the playoffs. Yes, Jake Mayer helped, but Mitchell was a large part of that, even in a year where, yeah, he did lead the CFL in interceptions, but he was still good enough to do that. And we know that that was not Mitchell, obviously in his prime or even close to it. So if he comes back and he's slinging the rock at a high level, then I certainly think we could see him for a number of years. But Hodge's point was spot on. It's refreshing to see a pro athlete be that self-aware and talk about this openly. Because especially, you know, we're in draft season right now. You have a lot of these prospects across Canada and, you know, even the United States. But I more just want to talk about some of the stuff I've heard around U sports where there are kids and yeah, we'll call them kids because I'm in my mid-30s at least. You guys are a bit younger. That are at these programs that aren't even on the dress roster that legitimately think that they're going to be in the NFL or even the CFL. Now, I understand that you have to have confidence. I've been there. I've been through training camp at the University of Guelph. I wanted to make it to the pros, was scouted a little bit, and it obviously didn't work out. But you need to have some perspective as a young person. And I feel like that needs to be passed down to some of these prospects to understand, just even from a sheer numbers standpoint, the opportunity is very slim to even get in the door in the CFL, let alone the NFL. So you need to make sure that you're doing every single thing that you can do, close your mouth and go to work instead of opening it up and telling people that you're going to be in the CFL and the NFL and then have people behind the scenes literally laughing at you and going, there is no realistic possibility that this guy that's not even dressing is going to be a professional. So I certainly think that that's the advice that people need to take away here from Mitchell is he's very self-aware, being open and honest about his situation, about how he feels. And that can be a lesson for the younger kids that are coming into the pro ranks. All right, let's keep moving. Three-time Grey Cup winning head coach Mark Tressman warned that rule changes being discussed by the CFL could have ripple effects that would fundamentally change the fabric of the Canadian game, saying, quote, it will never be the same, close quote. Is Tressman right to be concerned? I mean, I'll, I'll say this. I'm not a proponent of four downs, but, you know, all the coaches and GMs who have been on these Zoom calls so far this week have been asked, 
right, about the state of the league, about the narratives that have formed since these conversations talked around, you know, surrounding these these various changes. And at the end of the day, I think that the CFL is prudent to examine ways in which the game could be improved. I know you guys are not a fan of potentially changing the hash marks. I am personally. And as we're recording this podcast, by the way, the CFL is apparently announcing their rule changes later today. Uh, so that information should be out as of Wednesday in the afternoon. Um, now, is is just discussing these things changing the fabric of the game? I don't think so. One thing I do think the CFL needs to be careful about is the way in which it goes about these conversations and potentially painting itself as a tired product or as a product that isn't worthy of people tuning in, right? If you're a hardcore CFL fan, it feels like all you've seen this offseason is conversation about, well, our players aren't good enough and our game isn't good enough and we need to change this and we need to change that and we need to we need to be like the XFL, even though that league has failed twice. Uh, we need to do this. We need to do that, right? I do think that you know conversation is good, it's healthy, but I think we also need to keep in mind and also be cognizant of the fact that we don't want to devalue the CFL as a product. And I think the league would be wise to maybe include that in some of its messaging. There have been changes to the CFL throughout its entire history. There were rule changes when Tressman was coaching here. That's not a new development. And with every rule change comes the capacity for unexpected results. Now, I do think Tressman has a point here in terms of those ripple effects and having to be cognizant of it when we implement these new rules. I think sometimes in our conversation about things like changing the hash marks or, or doing this or that to the game, we don't necessarily go look at, at what the next step is, what, what it influences in other aspects of the game beyond what we think the positive impact of the change might be. And, and that does take some sober second thought and some close, you know, academic exa examination, which I think Tressman is a fan of and doesn't always thrive within league circles where guys can be a little bit impulsive in their decision-making and, uh, and in their opinions. But that doesn't mean that every change is going to have a devastating ripple effect that destroys everything we love about the CFL. So Tressman, uh, I understand where he's coming from. He's clearly very concerned for the game as we all are from what we've heard this off season. Um, but do I think the hash mark changes are going to destroy the fabric of the CFL? No, I, I think he's, he's, uh, he's a little bit chicken little here uh, crying that the sky might be falling. Well, to be fair, Tressman was more talking about examining the ripple effects of any rule change and just thinking it out. Now, I would imagine he's more talking about four downs and how that would change the entire flow of the game. But even something as simple as changing the hash marks is going to have an effect on the other areas. And I think it was just sort of an idea of let's have some sober second thought here before we put in any rule changes at all, which I'm sure occurred or hopefully occurred when Tressman was in the league as well, that they thought about it and not just its change in and of itself. So let's say this one, for example, in terms of the hash marks, well, how does that affect everything else? If you do that around it, I really think that was the point that Tressman was trying to drive home, you know, especially related to four downs. I think with, with the hash marks, the one thing we haven't discussed that 
I think is intriguing is if you're narrowing the hash marks, you're narrowing them on both sides. So we talk about the impact of it uh, sort of shortening the wide side of the field, but we'll also be widening the short side of the field, if that makes sense. So I wonder what the potential impacts of that are. I, I don't know if it will be significant. I'm not the right mind to discuss that. Uh, but that's something that I haven't heard brought up in the conversation around that potential rule change uh, that I think I'd like to see a, a more intelligent person than me uh, take some time to dissect and, and examine. And, and I'll say this, I, I do think that coming out of a pandemic year, a shortened season with no preseason games, when everyone's rusty, we lost a ton of veterans to retirement. I do think that overhauling the CFL game would be a knee-jerk reaction to what we saw last year. Yes, we have seen points go down year over year um, as a trend, but like the NHL has seen an explosion of scoring this season, and there's no rule that accounted for that. People can't really explain why, why all of a sudden the NHL had a ton of scoring this season compared to others. Now, I'm not a hockey guy. That's just stuff I've read, um, but... When it comes to the CFL, I don't think we're going to see this trend continue. I think we're going to see po points going up. I think changing, you know, making a tweak, a hash mark change to try to get a little bit more scoring would be a prudent thing. But let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Let's at least see how 2022 goes before we see anything. And to that end, I think Tressman is on point. The Alouettes quarterback, Vernon Adams Jr., has defended his use of social media this offseason, saying that anyone would have, re would have reacted to the Trevor Harris signing the way that he did and that the two have hashed out the situation. Have we really heard the last of this story? There's not a chance that we've heard the last of this story. I'll, I'll tell you why. I, I do believe that Vernon Adams is a good leader like he claims to be. I think you see that and some of the offseason work he's put in with his receiver and some of the things he does with his teammates. I believe him when he says that there's no issue right now between him and Trevor Harris, that they're willing to work together. What I doubt is the fact that there won't be another outburst if it comes time that, I don't know, midway through a game, uh, Vernon Adams is struggling, Trevor Harris gets put in, thrives, and then he's announced the starter for the next week for whatever reason. Will Vernon Adams go back on his Twitter account and have another post and create a distraction midseason? I think he's shown himself to be a guy that is prone to those types of emotional outbursts, uh, if you were on social media and even on the field when it comes to swinging helmets. Um, and I, I wonder what effect that can have on a team if it happens at the wrong moment. Uh, in the offseason, it can easily be brushed aside, but is he going to have the forethought to be able to avoid that situation if something he doesn't like happens in season because he hasn't shown that in the past. And, and quite frankly, in his comments, he said he's going to continue to use social media in the way that he does. He, he owns it as somewhat of a, of a badge of honor. So I wonder if he's fully acknowledged the impact that some of his comments might have if done at the wrong time. Even if just on his mental space overall, I think at some point, and we all go through this at various paces, you have to be able to reflect and then improve. So if I'm Vernon Adams Jr. looking at my own social media, I'm going to say, all right, can I improve here in the way that I'm using this? Or can I actually improve in terms of my outbursts that I have? So 
I think that's something that he would be smart to look at. And it's one thing when you're Adams Jr. going into training camp, you've got that fat signing bonus in your pocket at the end of last year, and you know you're the lead dog to be the number one guy. But what happens in kind of like your situation, JC, that you laid out, if Trevor Harris takes over that starting role and is a starter for a bunch of games in a row or the rest of the season, how will Adams Jr. react then? Because that will be critical. There are some people in the league that will tell you they feel like he'll pout, but if he goes the other way and helps out Harris and is there for the team, then to me that's a totally different situation. But that is very much an open question because it's easy to be the lead dog. When you know you're the starter, you're going to shell out the do-re-mi to bring in your receivers and their (laughs) wives and kids to come out to, I believe it was Washington, and pay for everything. But if you were the backup, would you be doing that? Now, we don't know, to be fair to Adams Jr., if he would, because he's not in that situation right now. But if everything gets flipped upside down, there will be a lot of people around the league, and us included, very curious to see how Adams reacts to that situation. Yeah, was it was it Mike Tyson who said everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth? Um, you know, every quarterback has a plan until they have their first bad game. And the CFL season is too long for anybody to go without having a bad game. Even, you know, every season, the MOP, if you go back and look, has a bad game. It's inevitable that every starting quarterback in the CFL will have a bad game at some point. And the first time Vernon Adams Jr. has a bad game, it might happen week 10, week 5, week 1, week 12. We don't know. But when it happens, there will be conversation about Trevor Harris starting the next game. And he has to be prepared for that. That's part of what comes along with being a starting quarterback. You get all the money, but also and you get the praise when you're doing well, but you also are the first person to take the criticism when you don't play well or when your team loses. So I think he has to be prepared for that. It sounds like he's got the right attitude. At least he's saying the right things right now, but that's easy to say in, in April. It's going to be tough to say in September if and when the season is not going well for Montreal. Certainly. And and I don't want to make it sound like Vernon Adams Jr. is a lost cause because I don't think he is. I think there's a lot of good to be said about the guy he is. I think there's a lot of good things to say about what he is on the field. But this year will undeniably be a turning point for him. And how he handles it will determine how the rest of his career goes in the CFL. And that has less to do with what he does on the field than it does to how he can handle himself off of it in the locker room and battle through adversity. Now, speaking of quarterbacks, our Edmonton contributor, Mike Ludwig wrote a piece this week, arguing that cutting Nick Arbuckle would be a mistake for the Edmonton Elks. What do you think is the best path forward at quarterback for Chris Jones and company? Well, Hodge and I asked Chris Jones a couple times in roundabout ways, if Arbuckle would be on the roster when training camp opens in, mid-May and everybody and their wife and sister and mother and brother pretty much know that the Elks have been trying to trade Nick Arbuckle prior to training camp. So in my mind, I don't necessarily know what Jones feels like is the best path forward. I think we have an idea of what it is. It seems pretty clear that he wants to go with JT Barrett as the starter based on everything we've heard about him. I'll say this. We have not heard Jones rave about Arbuckle. We have heard Jones rave, gush, do whatever he can, essentially, 
to hype up Barrett and the fact that he could come in and if he checks all the boxes in training camp, could be the starter. We have not heard that about Arbuckle when we've asked him questions about a guy that has starts in the CFL. And oh, by the way, was the only starting quarterback a year ago to beat the full-throttle Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Some people might say it was a down game in Toronto, but nonetheless, threw for over 300 yards, and the Argos won that game. But it just seems, for whatever reason, that Stephen McAdoo and Jarius Jackson, who are with them now in Edmonton, don't want Arbuckle to be part of that team, and even Jones himself. So it's a hard road here for Arbuckle to hoe if he's going to make that roster he's going to have to essentially do it against all odds but it seems like the likely scenario is that Arbuckle is either traded or released sometime during training camp or before the season yeah Chris Jones seemed to be a little bit irked that we asked that question and basically said something to the effect of well why wouldn't he be on our team you know why why and it's well because as we know there have been potential talks from Edmondson regarding trading Nick Arbuckle, who did not get a warm reception whatsoever when the uh, when this new regime took took over in Edmonton. And by the way, under, under normal circumstances, that wouldn't be a story, right? If you get hired as the head coach uh, slash OC, whatever of a team, that day you shouldn't have a strong opinion about your starting quarterback. But McAdoo, the OC at Edmonton, had Nick Arbuckle for in Toronto all of last year. So they're obviously very familiar with each other. So to me, I, I don't expect that Nick Arbuckle will be on the game or the week one roster in Edmonton. Uh, he's already gotten paid a lot of his money through the form of an off season bonus. So it's not like he's going to cost them an arm and a leg to be on the roster. Um, and I, I agree with Mike's take at the end of the day, I think they would be smart to keep him uh, along with JT Barrett and Taylor Cornelius, because as we know, there is no CBA for next year. We could see three quarterback spots back. And by the way, as you've pointed out many times, JC, to great frustration, there is not currently a rule against three quarterbacks. You just don't have to dress three quarterbacks. So anyways, I I, I think it would be prudent for Edmonton to keep our buckle, but uh, that may not be the path they go down. On that note, Let's hit it for Hodge's heritage moment. On this day in 1998, Canadian media mogul John Bassett passed away at the age of 82. Bassett served as owner of the Toronto Argonauts from 1957 until 1974, presiding over a period known as the Argos' dark ages and failing to win a Grey Cup during his tenure. However, Bassett's possession of the East Division broadcasting rights for the 1962 season through his company, Baton Media, ultimately proved to be a turning point in the creation of a second major television network in Canada, CTV. Bassett, who was also a minority owner of the Maple Leafs, sold the Argos to hotel magnate William R. Hodgson, not related to me, for $3.3 million in 1974. That same year, his son John F. Bassett tried to launch a World Football League team in Toronto called the Northmen, but was ultimately barred from bringing an American football alternative to Canada by a federal government of Pierre Elliott Trudeau. Boys, I don't know if you remember John Bassett. I certainly don't. It's got to suck to own a team for that long and not win a championship, eh? It certainly does, but I think some of it was his own fault. He had a bit of a reputation for allowing star players to walk because he didn't want to uh, pad their pocketbooks, so to speak. All right, let's hit it for the three-minute drill. Atlantic game sold out within an hour of tickets becoming available. Is that positive news? 
It's amazing news, especially if the CFL wants to put a team in Eastern Canada. This is outstanding. Former Pittsburgh Steelers undrafted sensation Devlin Duck Hodges has announced his retirement from the Ottawa Red Blacks after making just one start at quarterback in 2021. Are you sad to see him go? I think CFL fans will be able to get over the tragic loss of a talent like Duck Hodges, but I'm just happy that the world of professional duck calling is getting back a superstar. <laughs> it's been revealed that Regina radio veteran Michael Ball has been selected as the new radio play-by-play voice of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Is he the right man for the job? Well, he's a passionate dude, loves football, so you can understand the fit. Canadian Football Hall of Famer and former Calgary Stampeders running back John Cornish has been elected as the 15th Chancellor at the University of Calgary. What can he bring to that academic institution? I think that John Cornish can bring a lot to that institution. Super talented player on the field, super smart guy off the field. I think this is a great fit. I love that he stayed in Calgary and and continued to be so involved in the community there post-retirement. Former CFL running back Shaquille Marie Lawrence has accused Bobsleigh Canada skeleton of systemic racism in their decision to select another CFL athlete, Jacob Dearborn, for the Olympics over him. Does he have a case? I won't weigh in on the Olympic selection process. I know next to nothing about the sport of bobsleigh. Um, Certainly there's been some problems within that organization. And and what stuck out to me in the article is the allegation that he was told he had to quit football in order to try and make the Olympic team. Well, Jacob Dearborn was allowed to continue his CFL career with the Riders. To me, that's a major red flag on the part of bobsleigh Canada skeleton. After 35 years, McMahon Stadium's iconic suspended speaker system has been laid to rest. Did a young Justin Dunk have the arm strength to hit it? Oh, hell yeah. You better believe it, man. I probably still do today. But it's sad to see that that speaker's come to the ground. It just shows again that Calgary needs a new stadium. And it's not just for the football team, although we're biased and want to see it for the Stampeders. This would bring other economic drivers to the city so let's just get it done out there edmonton elks db aaron grimes said that covid vaccination statuses and testing created an extra divide in the team's locker room last season is that surprising to hear not at all the edmonton elks in 2021 were far less than the sum of their parts it's obvious that there were huge problems behind the scenes because that's the only thing that could have explained their performance on the field not surprising at all saskatchewan rough riders quarterback and expected father cody fajardo says his motivation for 2022 is to get a picture of his infant son in the iconic gray cup chalice how's that for baby book content I don't think you could have a better baby picture than that one, but I'd like to be a fly on the wall when Cody Fajardo, in the midst of the eventual Grey Cup celebration in Regina, says, no, 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 guys, no champagne in the Grey Cup. I have to put my baby in it first. Bo Levi Mitchell has revived the four-down conversation by sharing his, quote, unpopular opinion that the change would increase scoring without losing many fans. Is he on to something or is he out to lunch? Mitchell is an elite quarterback in the league, so I think we certainly need to at least listen to it. I don't necessarily think it's going to directly lead to increased scoring. The fan part of it 
is an open question. There are some people that feel like if you're a fan of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders today playing three-down football, that you'll be a fan of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders tomorrow playing four-down football. But I don't ever want to see the day where that question gets answered. Former Edmonton Elks defensive tackle Eddie Steele had his 2015 Grey Cup ring stolen from his car on Tuesday night in South Edmonton. Elks president Victor Quia has since offered to replace it, offering to buy him a new one. What do you think of that? Well, first of all, full marks to Quia. That's an amazing offer. But in terms of the police investigation, do you think they'll start by looking at Brock Sunderland? I'm not saying he did it, but... To me, he's he's the first suspect you got to cross off the board before you go anywhere. Last one, the Hamilton Tiger Cats say they expect 2021 first overall draft pick Jake Burt to be ready for training camp after battling injuries last season. What can he bring to the Tabby's offense? Certainly a lot of athleticism, uh, a lot of versatility, and he'll slot right into the spot that was held by Nikola Kalinic who is now down in the NFL. That does it for this edition of the Three Down Nation podcast. We'll be back at it next Wednesday. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Mini Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.